HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Time for Lunch is brought to you by the wonderfully Michigan Montmorency Tart Cherries. Learn more at choosecherries.com. It's time for lunch. Welcome to Time for Lunch. This is a place to learn about eating, cooking, enjoying, and sometimes playing with your food. Each episode, we're covering a new subject. I'm Hannah Forden. And I'm Harry Rosenblum. Tune in for food, fun, and flavor. We have a very special guest here for lunch today, and it's up to you, our listener, to guess who they are and what the theme of today's episode is. Are you ready? What shape are you? I'm segmented with an hourglass shape. Hmm... Are you alive? Yes. Oh, are you a plant or an animal? I'm an insect. Ooh. And where can I find you? I'm often found in and around flowers. And are there any other details about you that might help us figure this out? I fly and I have four wings. Can you guess what I am? I think I can. A bee! Bees are one of a number of important insects that we call pollinators. This means that they move pollen from one flower to another as they visit the flowers collecting nectar. This helps the plant to reliably produce the fruits and vegetables that we eat. Every time a bee lands on a flower to drink nectar, pollen gets stuck to its legs and body, and then carried to the next flower where some of it falls off. The plants and bees work together so the bees can make honey from nectar and the plants can grow more fruits, which spreads their seeds and grows more plants. Now that you know what today's episode is about, let's hear some jokes. What's a bee's favorite singer? What is a bee's favorite singer? Beyonce. Beyonce. What do you call a bee that you can't understand? What do you call a bee you can't understand? A mumblebee! Now it's time for our question of the day. The answer to this question is somewhere in the episode, so listen carefully. How many kinds of native bees are there in New York State? I love bees. They do so many wonderful things for us. They help us grow food and they make honey. We used to keep bees on our roof in Brooklyn in a hive. It was very interesting to take a look inside once in a while and see how thousands of bees all live together and raise new bees and make honey. 
Sometimes I'm a little bit scared of bees, but I know they're super important. For example, there are carpenter bees that live in my house. So sometimes when I'm sitting outside, I can hear a very low buzzing of them doing all of their bee stuff uh, inside of the paneling of the house. Well, I hope you're not allergic to bees because that would be hard. And I know that some of our friends are allergic to bees. So if you're allergic, be careful. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be back with a lot of fun facts all about bees. So stay tuned. This episode of Time for Lunch is brought to you by the wonderfully Michigan Montmorency Tart Cherries. Did you know that there are more than 1,000 kinds of cherries in the United States? But there's one extra special cherry called the Montmorency that I want to tell you about. They're tart cherries, which means they're a little sweet and a little sour. Michigan produces about 75% of the U.S. tart cherry production. That's the state that looks like a mitten, way up next to Canada. Montmorency tart cherries are grown on family farms and harvested in late July, early August. It's hard to find them fresh. 99% of tart cherries are processed into dried, frozen, canned, and made into juice. So we can enjoy them all year round. Yum! Montmorency tart cherries are one of America's superfruit which means they're good for you. Not only are tart cherries delicious, but they provide nutrients and antioxidants that young eaters need to keep their minds and bodies healthy. Learn more about the wonderfully Michigan-grown Montmorency tart cherry at choosecherries.com. Welcome back. My friend Sarah Kornbluth studies bees, so let's see what she can tell us. My name is Sarah Kornbluth, and... I'm an associate at the American Museum of Natural History in New York, where I study bees in New York City, looking at which bees are living where and when they're living there and how the way we treat the environment changes which bees can live there. In New York City and the area around it, there are hundreds of different species of bees. And throughout New York State, there are over 400 species of bee. That's a lot of different kinds of bee. Bees are very important to farmers so that we can have food. Some agriculture is set up in a great big patch of all the same kind of plant, and that's called a monoculture. And when you do that, it's really hard to make that a good home for native wild bees. When you have a giant patch of all the same plant, they generally tend to bloom all at once. And what wild bees need is they need flowers blooming for the entirety of their flight season. So that could be from early spring all the way through late fall. And so they, they won't really live in places where farming is a monoculture. And in that case, we've come to depend on European honeybees because we've domesticated them. Domesticated means that we humans have figured out how to care for them and work with them. We help them have a hive and we get honey and they pollinate our crops. In places where farming is much more mixed, where you've got lots of different kinds of plants growing together, then all different kinds of wild bees are wonderful pollinators. And I'd say a standout are the bumblebees, which are strong and are really good at pollinating. They do have a colony. They are social like honeybees, but their nest is a lot smaller. We don't call it a hive. We call it a nest. 
and they generally make their nest in a hollow in the ground. It could be an old animal burrow. It almost looks like a bunch of little egg shapes all clumped together, and they, they fill them with nectar, and they fill them with baby bumblebees. Wow, that's so neat. Bees are really fascinating creatures. I study bees out in the wild. I don't keep bees in my lab. I go out and I catch them, and then I bring them back to the lab. I kill them. I put them on pins so that I can look at them under the microscope and identify what species they are. Because there's so many different species, it's really hard for me to figure it out, so I need to look at them under the microscope. If we didn't have bees, it would be nearly impossible for us to grow food the way we do now. Without bees, 75 to 80 percent of the foods we eat wouldn't get pollinated. So it's important for us to help the bees and take care of them because they do so much good for us. So the most important thing we can do to help the bees is to look at the environment as a whole. And the way that we can restore our environment is by planting plants. We need to plant plants that are the right plants, mean that they're native to the area where you're planting. One of the cutest bees we have in our area is the squash bee. It's a specialist of squash, and it spread across North America as people spread squash all across the continent. The bees traveled with it and continue to pollinate it now, and the female bees live in their nests, but the male bees will find the squash blossom in the evening and curl up inside. The squash blossom closes at night. It's not going to reopen in the morning, so when the male bee wakes up, he chews his way through the blossom. But if you wake up before the male bees and you walk around and see zucchini plants in your yard and squeeze the flowers that have closed the night, that night before, you might find one that buzzes, and you'll have found a room occupied for the night by a male squash bee. Wow, that was so interesting. Thank you, Sarah, for sharing some of your bee expertise. Harry, do you know what I think? I think it's time for a very special pollinator dance break. That sounds great. Did you know that honeybees and bumblebees like to dance just as much as we do? Yes, bees do. It's called a waggle dance. They do a figure eight, and they don't do it just because it's fun. Bees use dancing as a way to share information with each other. That's so cool. The dance might be saying, hey, there's some super delicious flowers over there. Or, are you thirsty? There's a pond on the other side of this garden. Or, hey, have you seen my Aunt Bertha? Yeah, she's over by the apple blossoms. So today, we're going to dance or waggle like we're fuzzy little bumblebees. Now that we're back from our dance break, we're going to share some extra special fun facts that we learned about bees. Bees often live in large colonies called hives, where there are thousands of bees, but only one queen who lays all the eggs to raise new bees. And if the queen bee dies, the colony can grow a new queen by feeding special food to one of the larvae. That's a baby insect. I've always liked bumblebees. They seem 
way too big to be able to fly and they don't look aerodynamic and they make a really low, loud buzzing sound when they fly around, which I find pretty soothing. Coming up next, our friend Angie is going to share an extra special recipe. Hi, I'm Angie Bellotti. I'm a beekeeper in Brooklyn, New York, and today I'm excited to share a recipe for nut and honey truffles. It's a really simple, sweet, healthy protein snack to have between meals or to take camping or hiking. It's super easy and super fun. We'll start with a quarter cup of oats. If you don't have oats, you can use granola. You can even use cornflakes, only double the amount if you do. Pulse it in a blender to get a flour-like texture, and then stir that together with a half a cup of unsalted peanut butter or almond butter if you prefer. Add a quarter cup of local raw honey to get the most health benefits. Add a half a teaspoon of vanilla extract and a pinch of salt. Thoroughly combine these ingredients and fill a separate bowl with about a half a cup of coconut flakes. And I highly recommend that you first toast it for extra flavor. If you don't care for coconut, you can use hemp seeds for an extra protein boost. Roll the mixture into one-inch balls and then roll each ball in the coconut flakes to fully coat. Lay it out on parchment paper and chill for at least 30 minutes in the fridge or freezer. I hope you enjoy it. Before we wrap up today's show, we're going to hear a book recommendation from our friend Olivia. A book that I really like is Magic Treehouse, and the author's name is Mary Pope Osborne. What I like about it is that Jack and Annie get to travel through time and space, helping Morgan and Merlin from the time of King Arthur to um, help do a lot of missions, problems of Camelot and all these different things. At the beginning of the episode, we asked, How many kinds of native bees are there in New York State? And the answer is... Throughout New York State, there are over 400 species of bee. We love to listen to other podcasts in addition to Time for Lunch, and we think you should check out Tumble. It's a science podcast. You can find it at sciencepodcastforkids.com. Thanks for listening to Time for Lunch. We'll be back next week with more tasty stories. Thanks to Sam, Frank, and Olivia for sharing their voices on the show today. The show is written, produced, edited, and hosted by Harry Rosenblum and Hannah Ford, with engineering by Liam Warner. Time for Lunch is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Time for Lunch is powered by Simplecast. And please stay in touch whether you have a joke you'd like to share or a book recommendation. We would love to hear from you. So send us anything you can think of. You can record yourself using the Voice Memo app on an iPhone. It's super easy. You can ask your favorite grown-up to help you. You can email us at timeforlunchpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to include your name, age, and your address so we can send you something in return. Thanks for listening.